Welcome and happy Friday. It's Travelog, the podcast of Conan's Traveler, and I am here in the podcast studios with Alex Postman, Aaron Florio, Laura Redman, and Sebastian Modak, all of whom are editors and writers for Conan's Traveler. My name is Brad Rickman, and I have once again exercised the host prerogative and brought a bunch of people together who are really smart and know lots of things to service my travel needs. So I'm actually planning a safari for next year. I'm going to go with my family, my wife, and our very active, very imaginative 10-year-old son, um, who is a lover of elephants. He has all the elephant stuffies. And so I have no idea where to begin with this. I, so, I am, so weird, because we just published this huge, complete guide to safaris. Do, did we? Yeah. <laughs> and where might I find this guide? Uh, cntraveler.com slash story slash the complete guide to safari. That's amazing. That's I very will, specific. Very good. I will check that out. That sounds very handy. <laughs> but while I have you here, where should I begin in planning my safari next year? Well, it's a story I wrote about, actually. It kind of depends on what you really want. A, are you positive that your son is coming? Yes, let's say. Okay. For the moment. Okay. And B, do you care about malaria and malaria pills? And is that going to help determine where you go? When you say, do I care about malaria? Mm -hmm. I feel like, how could I answer no? (laughs) I guess it's like, are you willing to go go, or take the malaria pills and have weird dreams for a week or two? And have your child take the malaria pills. And have weird dreams? Ooh. That could be kind of fun. How weird are the dreams? Pretty weird. When I was on malaria pills, I once dreamt that I saved India and Pakistan from going to nuclear war (laughs) single-handedly. That sounds great. That sounds like... I wish it were a reality. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a story in the Marvel Universe. Okay, let's say for the moment, malaria pills, weird dreams about saving the planet aside, don't seem like such a great idea. If I don't want to take the malaria pills... What are my options? So you actually have some decent options. Um, Starting in South Africa, there are a number of private reserves you can hit up. And um, South Africa has massive, massive Kruger National Park. Parts of Kruger have malaria. Parts are low risk for malaria. But the private reserves often are malaria free. Um, How do they do that? It's just out of the climate, the the latitude. It's like being out of the Zika range or something. Latitude. Latitude. You just made it sound like maybe it's a a club and the mosquitoes are not allowed in. (laughs) It's a private reserve. You have to stay over there. It's like poor Tanzania just didn't get into the club, you know? So there's certain spots. It's actually my first and only safari I've done. I did um, with Pinda private game reserve on the eastern coast of South Africa, and it was about like a three-hour drive from Durban on the east coast, which you can get to through Joburg. We drove. I don't know that I recommend it. Seb, you lived in Africa for a while and driving why not? gnarly. It's terrifying. I read that. I read that when you wrote that. I didn't know what you... It's kind of fun, you, though. It's kind of fun, kind of terrifying. <laughs> um, What's terrifying about it? The rules are a little like Texas, where you yield to oncoming traffic, so... Oh, because it's like a single lane? It's like two lanes going in the opposite direction for two, a lot of the highways. You right. Know? Or and it's two single lanes. Yeah. I think in South Africa, I think we were on the left side. I can't really remember. Yeah. But it looks like you have a an 18-wheeler coming straight at you, mm-hmm. so you yield to the bigger animal yeah. on the highway. and it's that like means Scotland. Oh, then there's, but there's like a lot of like etiquette to learn. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's 
truckers will move out of the way for you to pass and they'll give you like a very subtle signal with their blinkers to tell you when to go because you can't see what's coming the other direction oh. and then you're supposed to flash your lights back at them to say thank you and then they flash back to say you're welcome and then you just have like a whole conversation <laughs> um, I feel like, like that's a missing like piece the... from our complete guide <laughs> where's the trucker etiquette because we were the only like two people doing this drive <laughs> so more often than not people will take a small prop plane or turbo plane um to the reserve itself and the reserve can help arrange that for you but so we stayed at Pinda and Pinda is in I want to say this correctly KwaZulu Natal is that right Seb? Sounds about right. All right. On the East Coast and it was fantastic I mean I loved it we did a four day safari four day three night on top of four days in Cape Town and a drive along the garden route. So it was kind of a big 10 day trip, but it was our intro trip to Africa and very first safari. And the good thing about Pindo was it they said it was malaria free. So we didn't have to mess with malaria pills at all. Because knowing me, I would have like wigged out. I'm sure I would have had those dreams and I probably wouldn't have saved the world. I probably would have destroyed it in my dystopian dreams. I think something important to point out just on Laura's point is this is planning with a kid in mind, right? Not all of the safari lodges accept children, so you do need to be sure that you're targeting a lodge that does allow kids under the age of 12 or however old your son is. So I have stayed in a few lodges which one did not allow children, another one did allow children, but on the condition that if you were to bring your child, you had to rent out, usually in the safari, you'll share the Jeeps, the viewing Jeeps with other guests. You have to reserve the entire Jeep because it's not fair on the other guests if the six-year-old is cranky and wants to go back to the lodge or, you know, uh, is, is hungry and needs to go back. So there are certain conditions and various safari lodges if you do want to bring kids. But Laura also recommended Kruger. There's a great lodge, one of our favorite lodges in Kruger, which is Sabi Sands, and they actually have an excellent kids program. They've actually, that's, they're one of the best in the region specifically for child-minded safaris. So do your research too in terms of what they allow. I'll yeah. also say like geographically, South Africa I think is an awesome place to start just because there's so many options, there's so many parks, and there's I think also the infrastructure is at a certain place where it's easier, especially with a family for your first safari. So if you look at like kind of the malaria, endemic malaria map, it's sort of a band across a lot of Africa. Is um, there an actual map? Yeah, here. <laughs> no, I, it's really good. I want to tell people how it's to... Pretty know, much it's all of Africa. A, it's not a TV show. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so a lot of properties will radio. manage it at its low risk. Yeah, so you're looking at not just South Africa, but a huge portion of Botswana is malaria-free. Which a, is also a, big, a good place to start, a right? Big, yeah, a big part of, a huge part of Namibia until you get to the northern tips of it is also malaria-free. And all these places offer their own kind of unique spin on, on the wildlife you're going to see, the nature you're going to see. And, and then it's also worth pointing out that, you know, I know you mentioned you're planning to go with your kid, and that's probably means summer vacation, right? So we're talking about the winter over there when malaria transmission kind of dips considerably compared to the summer and the wetter months and all of that. So even in areas of northern Botswana like the Okavango Delta, which I'm sure we'll get into, where there is malaria, in the winter months, you're a lot less likely to get it just because it's colder at nights, at, like at sunset and sunrise when the malaria mosquitoes come out and they don't like the cold as much. They move slower in the cold too, so it's easier to... And you're going to be wearing you're going to be wearing long sleeves and pants and yeah exactly the, you know at night or during the day all day all day, all day. So you're going to be sleeping in under mosquito nets you know so would you risk it Alex I would I 
I do think that you can manage to sort of cover your surfaces. Most properties have bug spray everywhere, and you just sort of keep At applying that. At your bedside. That. Right. They'd... I think it's pretty manageable. I would risk it. Okay. Especially to then access some of the ecosystems um, where there is there is endemic malaria, but maybe not the highest risk in order to be able to get there. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask, what are you missing out on by choosing to go to a low-risk malaria zone? Well, I would say if you're looking at summer, one great first safari option is to see the Great Migration in East Africa and Kenya and Tanzania. This is like a million and a half wildebeest that migrate north and south through the Maasai Mara and Serengeti. And these are like contiguous ecosystems. And they just kind of, they they roam around in a giant oval looking for the green shoots to eat. And what's amazing that happens is they're flanked by the zebra that are also following them and looking to nibble on the grass. And then the predators follow up the rear. And so when you see them on the migration, either going north or south, and I believe that in the summer, they are heading north. Do I have that right? I may not be right. But the river crossings are incredible, and you have just thousands of animals like swimming and jumping, and then you have the predators coming behind them. So that could either be great or scary for a kid. But look, I had boys who were the age of your son. I think they would have been pretty excited by that. Yes. And in the, some, some killed. More killing. In the, yeah. in the drier <laughs> months, too, um, I guess we're kind of jumping a bit, but like including with the Great Migration, so the drier months, so there's less watering holes, right? The watering holes dry up. Mm-hmm. It's, the floodplains are dried up. So the watering holes that do exist, everybody, congr- everybody, everything <laughs> congregates around it. It's like the opening credits to The Lion King. Doing, like <laughs> every, every watering hole you go to, it's, you know, elephants, wildebeest, hippos. you know, hippos, everyone just converging on this one watering hole because it's the only one within, you know, 100 miles. Yeah. And then the predators are there, too, kind of waiting for their chance to jump out and grab something unsuspecting. Okay. Um, so that's another advantage of going in the months that you were you were looking at. Okay, so if I'm going in July and August, is that dry time or wet time? Dry time. Dry time. Dry time. Okay. Is it on the way out or on the way in at that point? This is what we don't, we're not quite I sure. I don't think it even matters. I believe that in our winter, in sort of December, January, is the calving season. So you're mm-hmm. going to see different, it's actually, I think, a different vibe. It's more like you're going to see like babies stumbling around and but they're also predators, so maybe that's not a good time to right. take a child. It's okay to see the grown-ups get <laughs> right. eaten, not so good to see the kids get eaten. Right. But, but there are, sorry, there are mobile tented camps that will follow the migration, and that's some of the most exciting properties to witness yeah. um, that from. Yeah. I assume that it's possible to hire a specialist for a safari. If I were to go that route, what should I be looking for in such a person? You could pull off a safari on your own if you really felt compelled to just prove that you could, but we're pretty big advocates for always going with an expert when it comes to African, when it comes to safari. Um, They just know to anticipate the things you don't know yet to anticipate, and they can just make things so much easier. They'll handle your ground transfers. They'll handle all the logistics. They'll make sure, you know, they, they will tell you if you need the malaria tablets or if you don't. They will tell you all the shots you need. There's just a lot of layers of extra planning that goes into safari inherently, and it's just easier and better to run with an expert. And we have our, you know, experts that we 
always go back to, and you can find the list of that in our safari package. But they're also more importantly than the pre-trip planning. If something goes wrong on the ground, they will solve that problem for you. And that might be the most important thing because it's difficult to navigate Africa. Yeah. Also, I'd say, I mean, like safaris aren't cheap, right? Safaris, it's a, it's a big trip to make. It's a big investment to make. And you want to do it right. And if you're doing it on your own, there's a lot more pressure because you're just navigating the internet and you're looking at hundreds of lodges and hundreds of possible parks to visit. And you're like, well, what the hell do I do? Well, with a specialist, you can tell them like, hey, it's two of us and our kid who's really into this and loves elephants. We want something that's still going to have a chance to have like a nice laid back experience at the same time. It could be tailor-made to what you're looking for. Yeah, and not to mention quite a few of the safari camps that you're going to want to stay at, you can only book them through travel agents. So, for example, Wilderness, which is a great safari camp outfitter, you can't go direct and book to Wilderness. You have to go through one of their preferred specialists. So that will also get you to the camps you want. And you have to remember, you know, there are, because of the nature of what safari is, minimal impact on the environment. It varies from country to country. But there's very limited beds in general in safari areas. So you have to book well in advance. Using a specialist who has the relationships already on the ground can help you get the beds at the times that you want to go. I think we encourage at least six months out before you take a safari. I did it three months out. I don't recommend that. I just learn by failing every now and then. I got lucky. But I would also say don't be worried about sticker shock. You have to kind of remember that a safari is the ultimate all-inclusive. They are taking care of two game drives a day, You don't stop eating. You are eating from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Lunches, dinners, bush, you know, champagne out in the bush, picnics. Your overnight accommodation, which can often be, you know, five star. A lot of the properties that we've written about, like the Singitas and the Ambion places, are absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous rooms that come with their own plunge pools. Um, the one I stayed at, our plunge pool, was visited by a herd of elephants. See, so, I want that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see, and I think it's worth understanding that there's, like, very little in the middle when it comes to, like, wildlife experiences in Africa. Like, you're either going all in and having the experience of a lifetime where like Laura was saying, everything's taken care of and you're kind of in the lap of luxury while you're then going out on game drives every day. Or, and I've done this too, or you're just like really roughing it and getting in a Jeep and just driving into the park and setting up camp and hoping for the best. Okay, so we're not sure what our budget will be yet, right? And I take your meaning, like we're not going to do the backpacking thing. We're way past that point in our lives. And so I'm wondering, can we be a little bit specific? Is it possible to give people a general idea what the range that they're looking at is between, you know, something that's definitely not the backpacking. I mean, it's a grown-up trip. But let's say our budget ends up being, you know, we have a couple of bad months with the freelancing and, you know, we need to kind of like tighten the belt. What's the sort of mid-range version of this? If such a thing even exists. I was going to say about 600 per adult per night. But I don't know what you think. Yeah, I mean, sanctuary retreats actually have quite a few new camps that they've either just rented or they've just opened. Some of them are the nomadic camps that Alex just referenced. And their price points, because the structure of these nomadic camps are less investment, needs to go into them for the building and the maintenance, et cetera. Some of their camps are around three to $400 a night in places like Tanzania. I have to double check that. I'm pretty sure this is one of the Tanzania they've just opened. So that, I think, is probably the lowest at a comfortable level mm-hmm. that you'll get. Yeah. But right. you don't have to go, you know, don't think it's going to be four figures every night because it doesn't have to be. And I think if you're looking for the, at least relatively speaking, budget option, it's also worth talking to your travel specialist about, like, the less frequented parks because a lot of the times it's basic supply and demand, like... The, and, and also government policy. Like the Okavango Delta is extremely expensive to go to. 
for many reasons. One, because it's so coveted as a tourist destination, but two, because the Botswana government has intentionally made it that way as like a conservation tactic, basically, to have sort of low volume, low impact tourism. Um, but, you know, there's places that are kind of off the tourist. There's like the Atosha Pan in Namibia. There's all these, there's the Makadikadi salt pans further south in Botswana. There's all these places that, because they're less known, because they're less frequented, you might find similar or close to the same level of luxury for a little bit less as or well. Or emerging countries like Zimbabwe or Zambia. Right. So figure out your budget and then work with a with and a specialist. And that's where a specialist yeah can yeah. really be helpful. When they know the kind of experience you want, then they they may say, All right, Botswana is not for you, but let's look at Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of liberating for people because you, everybody has this anxiety about like what their budget is, but it's liberating to say like just figure out what your budget is and people will work with you to meet that budget. And they're excited to work with you. I mean, you never need to feel self-conscious about approaching these travel specialists thinking that you don't have as much money as their other clients. Like, they just want to make it work. It's like problem solving for them. Yeah, Yeah. they love it. So... If we were looking to splurge, what kind of options do you have to sort of play with? So I was, I have to tout this trip I recently took. So it was so great. Um, I was in Botswana, like Seb said, you know, Botswana is a particular model. They've engineered this model, which is unique to the country. It's now being adapted by Rwanda, where they want less people that are spending more money, which will lead to a sustainable economic driver for the country and also have minimal impact on the environment. I went and I stayed at Mambo, which um, is a big camp in Africa. It always has been, but they've closed it and they've just recently reopened it. It's in the northern part of the Okavongo Delta. It was $2,300 a night per head. Um, but the, that's a splurge. <laughs> so so that, that's kind of like, a, that's, that's very top. But before I... So what do you get? What's the difference? So, what are you getting yeah, for the extra so be- scratch? Before I arrived at Mombo, I had been at another camp in the Okavango midway up called um, Kurokwe. Kurokwe was very, very comfortable, very beautiful. I had great game drives. Everything seemed perfect. It was an $800 a night camp. Okay. I knew Mombo, of course, was 2300 When I was at Kurokwe, I said, what possibly could be the difference between 800 and 2300 There couldn't be that much disparity because Kurokwe is so fantastic. Especially because you're there for the environment too, right? So you're like, I'm already in the Delta. Exactly. Could be the difference I'm already the there. Like yeah. it must be minimal and you know marginal the, the difference is um, to pretty much triple the price. And and their response to me when I was there was, we're not going to answer that. You'll go to Mambo and you'll figure it out. And I was like, all right. And then I, I don't even think I had gone on my first game drive at Mambo by the time I had figured it out. Like it was so. There was an elephant in my room. <laughs> there was an elephant in my room. No. Um, I actually did. Mambo is like so um, sh- shrouded by the nature that I did make somebody check my room every time I went in there to make sure there was nothing that could eat me. But um, but it was. First of all, the design is fantastic. The design in all these places are great. Mambo has this beautiful, beautiful design, but it's the location in the Okavango Delta, which is at basically they're on this grassy plain where all of the floodwaters from the two deltas and that make up the or the two um, tributaries. Thank you. All the water rushes down and lends all of the nutrients in the soils in this plain, which means all of the animals are constantly gathering there and eating. And so you don't even need to go on a game drive to have a game viewing. And of course, you know, the the wine is great. The food is great. Just it was so spectacular. I also had elephants. I had a plunge pool where elephants would confuse as a watering hole. Uh, charming, scary at the same time. Well, tell the leopard story. Oh, my God. Yeah, actually, I sort of referenced this in, the, in this piece I did in our package about Botswana. But I was walking back. You always get walked back with somebody that works at the camp after dinner one night, late at night, about midnight. Is that true at all the camps? Yeah. Mostly, yeah. yeah. Usually. Yeah. But... 
So the risk is real. I guess I'm just trying to I'm about like, you're in okay. the wild. Okay. Oh, I'm yeah, about I guess the bush. newbie. Newbie. Okay. Sorry. So Make sure you I'm, keep an eye on your I'm son trying. at all times. Yeah, this is what I'm getting I'm at. Don't go off paths. I mean, I, I like wouldn't ever. go to the bathroom by myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, not seriously. I, I was like, there is a corner, a line could be there. Um, anyway, so two quick stories at Mambo. You know, walking back to the tent from the main lodge around midnight, I had two people with me. Um, we're walking right to my left. There is just a pack of hyenas just staring at me like they could eat me. Okay, that was that was cool. And then to my right, are, then they, are, do the hyenas smell bad? Like, what's the deal with hyenas? No. They smell terrible. Oh, I didn't notice their smell. They smell do they? terrible. They're massive, though. Don't let the Lion King fool you. They're massive. They're really? way bigger than a jackal. Like the Lion King makes them look like jackals. They're they're <laughs> they're big creatures. Um, anyway, so so the hyenas, and then on the next side was hippos, which also will are very aggressive they'll kill you mm -hmm. they're next to me on my right and then just as we were looking at these two things on the walkway a leopard dropped down oh right in front of God. us oh. yeah oh Seb yeah Seb didn't hear the story no. I shared it when I got back a leopard dropped down on the walkway of course you know we'd been drinking after dinner and I wasn't scared of this leopard I was just you know fascinated so we walked behind the leopard and then what were you drinking I mean <laughs> I, I want some of really that really good wine and wine and whiskey yeah you know and then Fireball. I got fireball you basically <laughs> drink from sundown until you go to sleep on the <laughs> Okay. There's not much else to do. Wild <laughs> animals and booze is just not a healthy combination now that I'm saying this out loud. But anyway, so I'm seeing the I'm seeing all these things basically that are going to kill me and I'm fascinated. And this was right in the camp. And then I wake up the next morning and I'm like, oh my God, that leopard had it turned its head. I mean, we would have been at dinner 100%. And but you were with a guide. The guide was okay with following him? Yeah. Wow. Maybe the guide was. I don't know. But he was, was like, it's fine. armed at the time? So in Botswana, you're not allowed to be. Really? Yes. <gasps> so this was another thing that kind of scared me. When I, did, um, when I did safari in Zimbabwe, they always had a gun. And I felt safe. Um, I, I just, I wanted to know that that was a bullet could be between me and something that was going to eat me. I hate to say it, but it's, it's, it's true. I don't wish the Second animals harm. <laughs> you know, you feel differently, yeah. But but in Botswana, they don't. They don't. They're not allowed to by law, which is another one of the government's like um, measures. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, actually, but you can kill a poacher in Botswana by law, which is but different. But you don't have a but gun. How are you going to kill the poacher? If just you're like not an anti-poaching like unit. No, if you're an anti-poaching unit, you can. But if you're just uh. a guide and you're you know, taking these walks and you're with um, just your guests, then you can't carry a gun, which I'm always like, I don't I don't. So what do they know. do? What's like, I didn't, defense? Honestly, Laura, I didn't even ask because yeah. I was basically, I'm are sure the big? question. They just throw you are out there beefy? and run. It's just to give you peace of mind okay um but then the second night so that was my first night at the camp the second night at mambo under tent six which is elevated there was a pack of hyenas which had a kill and they were just ripping into the kill underneath the tent that oh, somebody was, was staying in it was an impala and they were just bloodied and i went and i watched them eat and then i saw them and they looked at me and their faces are all bloody with this mangled they impala were like dessert yeah and i was like yeah i need to get out but that, that all happened in the t in the camp you know so that's up close very person. That's the difference. That's what twenty three hundred dollars. Yeah, that's what the you. extra the extra money gets you. But I'll remember that for the rest of my Absolutely. life. Sure, of course. I think I will too. I mean, that leopard sounds so vivid. <laughs> and you didn't need to drop. No, any I didn't. <laughs> so let me ask you: How important are elephants versus like the big five? That's what I was going to get into next. Is the animals? What are the big five? Everybody talks about this, elephants, but just for the record, lion, okay. lions, rhino, rhinos, leopard, and buffalo. And Cape buffalo. So not hippos. No. Not hyenas. No. And the, the big five is hunting. from the hunting trophies. Unfortunately, yeah. Okay, so that's not great. Are there other animals outside the big five that you want to go see? What are those? The best thing I've seen on safari were none of the big five. It was a pack of wild dogs. People um, love wild dogs. I, know, I was never saying that. They're so Why? rare Why? to see. That um, and you can just you sit and you just watch their 
family dynamic and their social interactions, and it's so fascinating. It's a wolf pack, but sophistication level even increased, like increased even more. You see the kind of head of the pack corralling everyone, get like basically like prepping them for the hunt, getting them all ready, getting them into formation, and then you just see them sprint off into the like distance Beyonce. on the hunt. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, and uh, we just sat there for like thirty minutes, like watching this family of wild dogs just get ready for the hunt, basically. Did you As see the were, hunt? Did you get to see the We actual... followed them for a bit, and then it was kind of a no-interference thing because they yeah, were getting yeah. spooked, basically. How many of them are there in a pack? I think it can vary. They call it a family or a pack? That's a good question. I think probably a pack of wild dogs. I mean, this was, like, maybe between 12 and 15 of them. And then, like, I don't know, you just watch Planet Earth, and you see the, how these things hunt, and it's unbelievable. It's yeah. just, like, the, the coordination. Everyone has a role. There's, like, the flank that goes out. There's the... The, the kind of distraction that goes another direction. It's it's unbelievable. Military strategy. Yeah. Or, or choreography or something. Yeah, it's really unreal. And, and like, you know, definitely not one of the big five. It's just a dog. I kind of <laughs> loved... <laughs> I loved warthogs. Warthogs, yeah. They're, oh. they're just frisky little guys, and they are... Tail straight in the tail air. Tail straight in and the air. And they're super and adorable. And yeah. instant gratification. They're kind of everywhere, and so it's like you don't have a minute in that Jeep without seeing a warthog, right? you know? And then the zebras are everywhere. The giraffes are everywhere, but to the point where I so just So zebras and giraffes them. are not big five. No. no. They're easy to hunt. The big five are hunting trophies. Because, like, this, basically, zebras, giraffes... Well, giraffes, less so, but, like, zebras, they're in huge herds, right? So, like... Back in the hunting days, that was just easy pickings. Mm-hmm. And all the antelopes, too, right? And then wildebeest. Well, the Although bu- wildebeest the are only are on certain the, the buffalo is part of the big five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they're, well, like, the hard to take so t- down as a hunter because they're, they're the most dangerous animal in Africa. Wait, what? No, the, the hippo. The buffalo. The hippo. I the hippo was. I'm pretty sure. The I buffalo was definitely told the most it was the hippo. I'm 3,000. It's a buffalo. I... All right. Uh, what's I the dif- fact check? What, what's, <laughs> yes, fact check. Twitter. Fact check us. Um, what's the difference between wildebeest and buffalo? Uh, it's buffalo, not obviously not a North American buffalo, right? No, it's a Cape buffalo. I think they're called. They're much beefier than the wildebeest. Um, their horns are a little different. They're extremely aggressive, unlike the wildebeest. Very like territorial. You'll see a predator like a lion or a cheetah take down a wildebeest much more often than you will see them try to take down a buffalo. Oh. Buffalo's just like in they're desperation. They're scared of buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> really hungry. Buffalo will, will fuck them up. Yeah. But now while we're talking about the big five, I know people started referring to the big six, the six being gorillas. Mm. Oh, um, no. Which is a whole other that's not cool. safari. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which is a whole other, you know, it's probably not going to be your first safari in Africa, although... Rwanda and Uganda, which have some of the highland gorillas, are contiguous with other countries where you could do a big five safari. But this has become sort of an exciting, you know, different kind of adventure. The ecosystem's totally different. You're up on a mountain, you're hiking. You know, it's almost like, you know, spy story. Like, you may see one, you may not. I mean, you generally do, but um, it has become very expensive in Rwanda to gorilla trek just because, as with Botswana, they've limited the number of permits that they're willing to give out, limiting the number of guests that can stay. Um, they're very expensive properties. But Uganda has really um, opened up as a sort of alternative that's more affordable. The park goes between the two. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's essentially the same ecosystem, give right. or take. Right. Are there gorilla trips in the Congo as well? 
Yes, in Virunga. Yeah. Is and, that and poor form to go there, though? No. Well, no. I don't know. Actually, we've been talking about it quite a bit. So we have a there, whole piece we, about how it's not. It's far away from where the, the conflict is. There was a recent incident um, involving some park rangers in, in the Congo. But, you know, they've had those incidents also in Zimbabwe. It's Rangers have been killed by poachers in Botswana. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, the unfortunate truth of how it works. But, yeah. Alex and I have actually been talking about going to the Congo a lot, I feel, these past few months. See what sharing a mic will do? (laughs) Look at that. Changing your life. We could share a suite. (laughs) Share it all. Share a hyena. Um, The hyena will share us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just an update. There's a lot of contention about what's the most dangerous animal in Africa, but both the hippo and the buffalo are up there. Also, (laughs) the podcast interrupted by Google. The mosquito apparently does kill the most, and also crocodiles, but you never find the victims, they say. But everyone, it was interesting when I was recently in Boston, I was surrounded by people who've grown up in the bush. all of them were, 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 were shaking when they saw the hippo. The hippo yeah. was the hippos one they were scared are, of the most. Are, are because even if animals. they don't kill you, like the bites are poisonous, oh, no, they, right? They will kill you. Like you won't survive a hippo attack. Yeah, you won't survive a hippo. It, it will chomp you it in will, half. It will break because you in half. They're yeah. shockingly fast. And they, they are how big they are. They are so fast. So I went in a Makoro, which is the um, the canoe trips that you can do, which is something that's unique to Botswana as well. And we startled a hippo who was just about to fall asleep, which was a terrible idea, and we ended up having to cancel our trip. But this hippo was so aggro, and he charged. I mean, I have footage of it on my phone. He went so fast in water, which should slow him down even more. Um, and it's just so counterintuitive because you'd think they'd be slow and lethargic. They're not. They're super fast. And they're super aggressive, and they will kill you. They won't eat you, but they're vegetarian, but they will kill you. Yeah, one of the one of the places. I was going to recommend, based on your criteria, was kind of a less celebrated park than the Okavango in Botswana, but very nearby. It's the Chobe National Park along the Chobe River. It's where four countries meet. Yeah, Namibia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and Botswana all kind of meet in this one corner, and the Chobe River flows through there. I say you should go there because it has a population of 50,000 elephants within 4,500 wow. square miles. Guaranteed elephants. Um, and the main attraction there is the river safari. So you're going not in a in a Mokora, which are like the dugout canoes that you go in the Okavango Delta, but these kind of slightly larger pontoons. And it's very luxurious. You sit back, you have a glass of wine while you're watching these animals. Um, this sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And you see these elephants, not only just herds of elephants everywhere, but them like crossing literally national borders across the river and going, you know, in single file. The mother goes in first, checks the depth with it with her trunk and then the whole family goes into the river and walks across the river right in front of you tons of hippos too and the reason i brought it up was because whenever we'd approach a hippo the ranger would have basically an escape route kind of planned out already so we'd approach it and he'd turn around so that he could drive away really quickly if we had to and that's in not in a canoe that's in a big motorized pontoon and he was still nervous about what a hippo could do to us if we pissed it off. It was really scary being in the dugout canoes, I have to say. And I didn't realize how 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 dangerous the hippos can be, but everyone around me was from Africa and, and knew and they were all it, it's something very, to keep very in mind with kids if you're gonna do yeah. that canoe thing. Yeah. There have I mean I'm not i I'm definitely not fear mongering. It's so rare, but there have been incidents in the Okavango of families going in kids especially kids mm-hmm. being picked out by crocodiles or hippos because you're right there it's just such easy pickings you're floating by in this tiny canoe it's happened it's happened i, th- I mean i've heard of two like it happening like two times yeah, in the past 20 years if your guide provokes if they like poke a, 
a croc or a caiman or whatever safari you're on with there, or then yeah, you don't want to be on those kind of trips. Well, I don't think anyone's. I don't think they're poking anyone. I think it's uh, happened at, at like I've, safari <laughs> lodges, nice lodges with families. I think I'm just saying that it's something to keep. If you have like a very active kid who's going to be sticking his hand in the water, yeah, it's just something your, to keep in mind if you're traveling with a family. The one of the guys you're sorry, very Alex. exposed. You're very exposed. One of the guys that I was actually with in Botswana about two weeks before I got there, and he has grown up um, in the bush. He's from Botswana. He's been doing this his entire life. He got very minorly, but he got attacked by a crocodile just for being on the water. I mean, and he was he was like, wow, it really like reminded me just how vulnerable we are. Like, just, yeah, I mean, it's you're yeah. in. It's, it's not a zoo, you know, you're, but, you're out there. So I think this raises a, a topic that is worth a shadow, which is the active safari. Because I also did a safari in Botswana at the new Great Plains property, Duba Plains, um, which is also in the Akavango. And um, I felt so incredibly restless after two days of sitting in the Land mm. Rover. There are spinning bikes in your suite. But you just, I just felt anxious to move. And I met a family who had just done an expedition safari, Duba expedition, actually out of a neighboring property run by Great Plains. And they had canoed, they had walked, you know, with excellent trained guides. But I thought, like, that's something that I think my kid, my teenagers would really connect with. And there are so many options along these lines that Great Plains also has. Um, property in Kenya Mara Plains, and they have horseback riding safaris. There's a trip that I'm looking at in the Makatikati salt pans in Botswana, which, again, a whole other ecosystem, like um, but where planet. you do a quad bike through these salt pans. It's wow. like, it's almost like dune landscape, like this otherworldly like landscape. It's the moon. It's yes. crazy. And, um, the animals there are meerkats, and uh, so you're not going to see any of the big five. But it's still which are sort also of a hunt ferocious, for the mere- apparently, right? Well, I don't know. I think they're curious. I think they come and like sit on your shoulder and your head and like try to find the highest point on you. Yeah. <laughs> you'll see like um, zebras and ostriches too. But and I, I feel like, like if my surreal. kids aren't moving, they would be bored out of their skulls. Yeah. So I, it might be a, your son might be a little young for that, but I think for teenagers, it's kind of the perfect solution. I also don't think you should rule out. Even as like a side trip from the safari, a camping trip, especially in Botswana. I mean, it's like that's where I've had the most incredible nature experiences of my life was camping in the middle of the Kalahari Desert. And we had lions in our campsite in the middle of the night. I woke up to this sound. But wait, I woke up to the sound of of like that lion groan, which is so unmistakable, like in our camp. Like they were so close to our tents, you could hear their footfalls in the sand. But the next morning, well, first of all, the next morning we had set our alarms to see the sunrise and we had like two tents and like the alarm goes off and it was like, you guys going outside? And they're like, nope, you going outside? Nope. Because we had just <laughs> all been woken up by the sound of lions in the middle of the night. We eventually got out and we ran into this ranger guy who was kind of just doing his rounds in, in the Kalahari National Park in Botswana. And he told us that there's, as far as his knowledge was concerned, a lion has never attacked a tent in history because they just don't they don't, they don't regi- taste good they don't register right. that there's something edible inside same with the jeep right, right. i mean the jeep looks like might as well be an elephant to yeah. a lion and also um the f- apparently the fuel from the jeep it covers the scent of a human so they actually can't detect that you're even there mm. um and i have heard what i was just describing is actually my biggest fear um it was I, incredible. Have, I have heard that a lion has never that they don't attack a t- they don't mess with a tent i still don't think i would ever be able to fall asleep knowing hearing the foot 
it falls of a lion outside yeah, my my flimsy campfire, tent. Um, no, but it's amazing. But you, another point about the Kalahari Desert, which is unique to Botswana and to South Africa, where it where it crosses, is that you can still do bushman um, safaris. Yeah, which is really interesting. It's one of the last surviving areas where the tribes will take you out and show you around. I mean, these are, I mean, you know, for a lot of government oppression and other reasons, there's very few bushman tribes left in Africa. But some of them still do exist in Botswana, and so you can go out and do the do the walks with them. They'll, they'll teach, teach you about, you about mid, the bush, like medicinal they'll, plants. Uh, like yeah, they'll they'll really teach you crazy. about how you know what they eat. Um, it's super super fascinating. How would you arrange that? Because we wrote about something called sky beds in the Okavango, which is attached to kind of a luxury stay, but you go out for a night and you stay in the equivalent of like an observation deck mm-hmm. with like no doors, no windows, no walls. You sleep under the stars in a double bed and, you know, you sit around the fire at night listening to the animals in the bush right around you and you might do a little walking safari. But that's about as in the mix as I would want to get. What are these like? How do you arrange with like Bushmen? So um, usually the safari camp that you're staying at, I actually don't know how you could go about arranging them if you're just sort of popping a tent and, and, and camping. But a lot of the camps that we've mentioned, the the NBN and wilderness, et cetera, they have them baked into their itineraries, into their activities that you can choose to do. And a lot of them are kind of, especially more recently, it's an effort to like engage with the local community more and, you know, provide employment to people from the local community, including people from the, the Bushman group. So it's it's a good thing, I think, for sure. But a lot of the, like, there are obviously Bushmen that are now sort of becoming more gentrified in, in, in parts of society in the way that sort of we live, but there are, it's, it's very, very mm-hmm. rare, but there still are nomadic Bushmen out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very, very rare, but you can, with the right provider in Botswana and in Namibia, um, you can go on safari with them. Let me ask a question about conservation, because you are obviously in a part of the world where it matters a lot. And how can I be sure as we do this that we can be having minimal impact on where we're going? Are there camps that are better than others? Are there regions that are better than others? What should we be looking for? I think there's still both those things are true. There are still camps that are better than others. There are regions that are better than others. Botswana is definitely a leader in the field, I'd say. But I think something that's good and very encouraging is that more and more it's the norm. The new standard is respect for the environment, it's community engagement, it's you know not building a, a Disney World in the middle of the bush and that's you know in a bubble, it's engaging with the local community. Everywhere that I've stayed on safari, you know, everyone who worked there was from the lo- the nearest village, you know, everyone there's there's a lot of community engagement and I've heard sustainability stories. and like water conservation and all these things have become a priority. I think it's really hard now to find the kind of amusement park, safari park that you would find 10, 20 years ago. But I've heard stories or read stories of, you know, just jeeps lined up watching animals. How real is that? Is that still something that happens or is that a thing of the past? How can you avoid that? No, that absolutely happens. And it comes back to the point of how many heads and how many beds they have in these concessions and in these national parks. You know, places like the Serengeti, like Kruger, they are fantastic. They also popularize the safari model, which basically means they receive the most amount of travelers. And and it's phenomenal viewing, and you're going to see some amazing things. But it also means that you might be backed up in a traffic jam of other Jeeps trying to see the exact same thing. A lot of the guides, um, you know, because everybody wants to make sure their guests have the best experience possible, they will radio each other and they will tell each other. And it's good. It's a positive thing. It's a source of communication. In a place like 
like Botswana, whose foundation of their model is built on fewer people, you inherently can't run into that problem. I, uh, when I was recently in Botswana, I spoke, there was, there was a, a South African who was very, very well traveled in, in, in safari. He's gone all over the continent many times. Uh, he told me that he was once in the Serengeti and he was in one of 57 Jeeps trying to see the same pride so, of lions. So at that point, I mean, really, what are you getting out of it? And it, that's, and that's, but that's less, I think at least it's less willful environmental degradation. It's more just like going to Venice versus going to somewhere that sure. that people aren't going to, right? It's it's just like the place that attracts the most tourists because people think safari, they think Kruger, they think Serengeti, they think these these major hotspots. So I think that's especially great of like that's especially important when a travel specialist gets involved because they're going to tell you like Maybe this time of year, don't go to this part of Kruger because it's just going to be, that's when everyone is going there. Be a parking go lot. to Namibia, go yeah. to Zimbabwe, go to Zambia, and like I, go to all these also, places where you're going to have the same This is also wildlife. where like the price comes into play mm. because you're going to pay more for greater isolation generally. I mean, and maybe not paradoxically, some of the most prominent luxury safari companies are also having some of the biggest impact on conservation because they're raising a ton of private money that they're investing, that they're leasing land from the government because they have made a pledge over the next 100 years that they are going to preserve this parcel of land. They're going to they're gonna help the wildlife and the ecosystem rebound. But those are the properties that are also going to cost you more in most likelihood. And another important point, which you, you, you learn when you get down there, is you know poaching is such a massive issue across the continent. Uh, three rhinos are still poached every day. Their horn is worth more than gold on the international market. And every 15 minutes, a, an elephant is still poached in, in Africa. You know, the people who are orchestrating... We're going to bleep that out in case my son listens to this. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but the people who are orchestrating the poaching are sitting sort of comfortably somewhere else in the world. And the people who are pulling it off for them are basically villagers who are just mercenaries who are being turned and who are being flipped because they have incentive because they just need the money, which is understandable. And the more we can do to support tourism as a way to provide jobs or sustenance or anything else to feed back to those communities is one step closer to stopping them from having to resort to that. If you look up on our site, um, we have stories about rhinos without borders. We have a story coming up about the black mambas, which is an almost entirely female anti-poaching unit that doesn't have guns and they are going out and just being the eyes and ears on the ground. They're calling in people that they think are poachers. They're looking for bush meat Mm -hmm. and poaching camps and anything that might indicate that something bad is happening. So there are ways, whether you're investing, you want to give money directly or you want to just be on a safari that cares about these programs. There's plenty of ways to do that. It's also just being on a safari. I mean, I think even more than like, you know, the money going into the community or I mean, not even more, but along with that, the numbers show a clear link between poaching and tourism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, two, three. Tourism goes up, poaching goes down. Basically, around three years ago when things were rough politically in Kenya and tourism just dropped to Kenya because of, you know, the U.S. State Department, I think, had a travel advisory. The British Foreign Service had a travel advisory. Poaching increased 20% as soon as tourists dropped because that tourism money is going, it's like a direct link. The the safari tourism goes straight to anti-poaching efforts being put forward by these safari camps and by the government. As soon as that money dries up, there's not enough money to pay these 
these anti-poachers. Yeah, a really important um, place where I went was Zimbabwe with in, with regards to this. I went there two years ago, and it was just fascinating to learn. I mean, their government is kind of mess, and you know they really rely on private donations and they rely on tourism dollars to combat the the poaching that happened. I mean, like ten years ago, Wangi and these amazing national parks that they have, which have great elephant populations and are just so 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 beautiful. Nobody was protecting them. Nobody was looking after them, and tourists weren't going, and they lost so much of their elephant population and they're slowly building it back. It's still very fragile, but you know, that should make you feel good. Even if you don't agree with the politics or you're unsure of the government, think about just sort of the sort of micro economy of where your tourism dollars are going and what it's preventing. Yeah. Okay. Let's finish on Traveler After Dark. What if we decide to leave the kid behind? And have a, a, a can you have a romantic safari? Can you have a you know like the most second honey safari? I was like I, I did had an anniversary. Trip I was on there safari. by myself, and I was it was a romantic. Trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do tell. Yeah, really. Okay, <laughs> really. You, it's just, all right, it's put the just, kids to bed. No, it's time no. to really get. Did you, wrong did you renew your vows with yourself? <laughs> <laughs> What I mean is more like, you know, uh, what I love to, we always talk about the animal viewings, but there's all of those things that happen in the after hours at the safari camp. I mean, me and some of my guides at Kurokwe and really Mambo. Tinder really easy, right? Like, oh, yeah. The Tinder, you know, they have great, uh, great network people. in the bush. three people. <laughs> no, but it wasn't, you know, it's not that. It's more, you know, I sat for hours with these uh, the guides that worked at the camp and we sat no really no we did super, too no really and we're talking and they, they talked to me they talked to me about Botswana we talked about like literally the sky map we haven't mentioned how beautiful the stars oh are God. by the way because yeah. there's zero light pollution I mean and you're talking by the by the fire I'm not saying romantic in the conventional sense but it's there capital are all these R other romantic. things you're going capital R and if you tell then, them that you're on there for a romantic trip whether it's an anniversary or honeymoon or whatever they're going to they pull out all the stops yeah yeah, yeah. They, we went you out on a this, drive. Right? We did. We, it was our anniversary, and we went out on a drive, a, the late day game drive, and came back. They had, um, made a bath with candles and champagne and roses. A bath of champagne? I wish. No. <laughs> at, at Mambo, not only is there an elephant in your room, but it's an elephant playing the violin. <laughs> say that, that adrenaline is the arousal neurotransmitter. So that leopard that drops from the trees like, you know, starts something. Yeah. You're on your way to your room. You and know, our yeah. guide, I think our guide looked like a beefier version of Matt Damon. Like, they're just like the rugged dudes. So there's definitely cool. a type. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there's a type. All right. There you go. Um, okay. <laughs> Let's, I think that's a good place to end. Otherwise, we're going to have to X-rate this thing. <laughs> pretty, pretty awkward well, wait, place. We, it's a terrible place. This? Not for all of them. <laughs> just talking for about you. hunky safari guides. <laughs> can we go around and say the safari we'd actually recommend for you guys? Yeah, sure. Please. All right. I'll start. I have to recommend what I did. I love the Pinda Game Reserve and beyond. Rock. Was, was there a line? This was in Kruger, right? This was outside Kruger. Okay. So southeast of Kruger in its own private reserve. So it meant that you had fewer people on your game drives. I think most we ever had was six. Sometimes you get up to 10 in a Jeep. And we had, God, we had the guide to ourselves for a little while. We saw all big five in the first day and a half, plus plus, you know, a pregnant zebra, an albino giraffe, a cheetah with cubs. It was unreal. And no malaria. And romantic. But you actually, I would double check if you can bring kids. I think if you can't bring kids to Pinda, Singita Ebony Lodge, a little farther north in Kruger and Sabi Sand, they definitely allow children and there's discounts and babies under two are free. Hmm. Okay. 
Um, Seb? The Okavango's like an obvious choice, I think. It's Eden on Earth. It's and, and August when you're planning to go, that's when the river plain is flooded. Kind of paradoxically, it's the dry season, but it takes a while for water to get there, basically, from the rains in the north. Yeah, it rains earlier, and then the and then the and then floods it takes come a while up, to get it down. down. So, so it's it's when you can when the entire delta is flooded. But as a more unconventional thing, I like I said earlier, I'd recommend Chobe National Park as a place to go. It's very manageable, especially with kids. You're just going out on boat safaris, maybe a couple of game drives, and as a little bonus, you're also within driving distance. And most lodges in Chobe will arrange this for you. You're within driving distance of Victoria Falls, in right on the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia, which is unreal. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm Alex. gonna go with the Great Migration. Are you? Yes. Following it? Yeah. Well, both. Um, I think you could start at um, Angama Mara, which is up on a high hill overlooking a river. So you're gonna just you could just sit there with your cocktail and watch. The, the wildebeest and all the zebras follow them across the river and just watch the action there. It's action film. I feel um, like you're looking into my soul right yeah. now. That's like the, <laughs> the, the place I should be all the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> and just because you you don't have to really leave the property to see a lot of action, but then you do your game drives. Um, and then I would go to a mobile tented camp. Um, Singita Mara tented camp is sort of the counterpart to that. And you're just going to be in in like a beautiful like canvas sided tent, which will be fun for your kid. And you can just hear the stampede outside your tent, and it'll just be, you know you take like sun showers, um, but it's all very luxurious because it's Singita, but has this feeling of you know camping out and really just being close to the land. So that's what I'd recommend. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think I've already sold why I liked Mambo and why I liked Kroque, so of course I recommend that. But I have to say, I have a really soft spot for Zimbabwe. Um, I saw, especially with your kid, I saw just great herds of elephant and giraffes and zebra and all of the time. I mean, there were times in Botswana, I will say the, I saw like better situations in Botswana. I, I saw hunts and I saw kills and I saw these great things. But um, when I was in Wangi and when I was in Manapools in Zim, there were always animals within sight everywhere I went, which I think a kid will love. But I, I, I haven't stayed there but there's also this camp that we haven't spoken about in Botswana called Abu, which has a huge elephant population at the camp. You can play with the babies and you can interact oh, with the elephants. No, Brad's like sold. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just, I, that to me sounds very magical. You're probably and, going to Botswana, Brad. Yeah. It sounds like it. I'd recommend stop over in Habarone, fun town. <laughs> Hab- I lived there. Is that what they call it? Great, great rap music. Anyway, okay. wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, thank you all. It's great to have a personal travel service. I love that. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. And for everything you need to know, your complete guide to safari, it's cntraveler.com slash story slash the dash complete dash guide dash to dash safari. Speaking of rapid. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was pretty good. I, I do think you need to be listening to the Women Who Travel podcast. The most recent episode is about traveling to Antarctica, speaking of faraway places. So you need to check that out. There are only a few more episodes in the second season, so subscribe to that now. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. We are at CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. Please do tweet at us. Let us know about your safari experience. We'd love to hear it. Send us feedback. Review us on iTunes. All the things. Laura, how can people get in touch with you? 
So I'm at Laura underscore Redman on Instagram and at Danon825 on Twitter. Seb. I'm at Seb Modak on Instagram and Twitter. Alex. I'm at WordMover on Instagram and Twitter. Aaron. I am at Aaron underscore Florio on Instagram. And I'm at Brad Rick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. 